This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, hi, hello, what it do, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, thinks that the Lakers should sign Timothy Mozgov, co-host <laughs> number one, Andrew D. Bailey. We have a lot to get to today because we're doing the return of the mailbag. We finished up our off-season grades for every single NBA team, broken down by division. So go check out those six podcasts if you haven't already. Our usual housekeeping notes slash please, though. Continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Pretty, 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 pretty please do that. If you've already subscribed, definitely make sure that you're throwing us a rating. Let us know that you're out there and listening. Write a review. We love reading those things if you've done all three definitely recommend us shout outs on twitter steal people's phones recommend us to acquaintances anything you could do to help us continue building our audience would would be great to know and of course you can find us wherever else you're consuming your podcasts art 19 stitcher spotify all that good stuff follow us on twitter as well at hardwood knox you can follow andy on twitter and you should follow andy on twitter at andrew d bailey spelled exactly as it sounds i am at dan favalli f-a-v-a-l-e mo who is not joining us today can be found at mo dekeel underscore mba that's at m-o-d-a-k-h-i-l underscore mba and finally but not leastly Follow Blue Wire on Twitter, and not just because I am one of the three to five people who have control of, over that account, at Blue Wire Pods. You're going to get great comedy from there, from myself and some others, then also you'll be able to tune into all the other fantastic podcasts that Blue Wire has to offer. With all that said, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm just wondering now if there is some sort of... Uh hidden cap provision we don't know about that will allow the Lakers to sign Mozgov for another four years and $64 million. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the injury exception is not going to be enough for that. So they're going to, maybe they should just salary dump LeBron and uh, figure out how to get that done. Timothy Mozgov signed actually overseas. Did he not? I should yeah, I pulled up his page right when you mentioned his name and he, that four year contract, he only played two years of it. Like he didn't even play in the NBA last season. And then the Magic waved and stretched him uh, this year. Yeah, that's just – summer of 2016 remains undefeated. <laughs> so crazy. Mozgov, uh, Biombo, Evan Turner, even Kent Bazemore's contract was crazy. I mean, it, it, uh, 2019 was definitely the craziest offseason in NBA history, I think. Um, I, I just used definitely and I think in the same sentence. But <laughs> 2016 was pretty wild too. Um the the era of player movement it's it's fun we actually have a question about that today the thing, oh then maybe I should I'll save my thoughts on what you just said for uh for for that question then yeah yeah I think a goodest place as any though is to start with a boogie I believe we have a question on on that that you uh that you marked and if you didn't I believe I marked it <laughs> well I've got one um and there was there was multiple so if if you're not the one who gets tagged I'm sorry but Paul. Dolores at P-A-G-D-O-L-O-R-E-S set or asks. And by the way, I thought this after I sent out the tweet last night. I, I think from now on for mailbags, I'm going to say respond to this tweet with not only your NBA related question, but I, I need him to give me like a, a your NBA nickname or something like that and where you're from. It's going to be more fun. Anyway. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> How will Boogie's injury affect the Lakers season? And then... uh in parentheses and title hopes and his injury of course is a torn acl did you watch the video that was posted on it 
Oh, no. There's video of it? Yeah, TMZ posted, I believe, and it just... It, it didn't it didn't look bad, but you could hear him scream out and just like lose the ball as he was driving towards the hoop. It's Man, just I sad. didn't know that. It's just yeah. really, it's just wildly unfair for him. And so, you know, shouts to Boogie. I hope he's able to come back from this and enjoy a good stretch of health for, for a change. Just between the ruptured Achilles, the torn quad, and now now the ACL. And it was from it was this is why I'm now reluctant to comment on any injuries that aren't definitive, but when Woj tweeted that he bumped the knees, everyone was like, a, a good amount of Lakers Twitter was like, he just bumped yep. knees, everyone relax. And then yeah. you get the report coming from Shams that it was a torn ACL. And it, it's like, I know everyone needs to be a prognosticator in the moment. I get it. I do it too sometimes on trade or all the time on trades and rumors, but there is just, when we're talking about a player's well-being and livelihood there, we gotta, you gotta wait or something. This is just, it's terrible news. That's all. That's it. Yeah. Pump the brakes. Every, everyone feels like they have to have an immediate reaction to literally everything that happens on planet earth. I mean, we're all guilty of it. It's just, yeah. An NBA Twitter in August is a dark place. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's okay to just wait for a little bit. Um, and sometimes it's okay not to react at all. I, I know that's a novel concept for some people, but you need to write fortune cookies. <laughs> so, did you see my tweet? Uh, speaking of not reacting, I, I did have a reaction to this. Um, I, I didn't even realize this until I looked it up. But Cousins had played 535 games before the first major injury, which was the Achilles back in 2018. And the number of points, rebounds, and assists he had compiled in those first 535 games, the only players in NBA history who matched that um, on all three, points, rebounds, and assists, was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Charles Barkley, and Will Chamberlain. That's absolutely absurd. It was crazy. I mean, like like <laughs> three guys that are in every conversation about the best big men of all time. And there was so much nitpicking with DeMarcus Cousins, and I'm sure I was responsible for some of that myself but if you just look at the raw numbers that he put up through the first you know several years of his career um just an incredibly productive big man flawed for sure um certainly wasn't like a defensive anchor or anything like that but i i've long thought you know if he just finds the right situation he could be a really, really good player. And it seems like right when he started to find good situations is when the injuries started happening. I just, I feel really bad for him. And one thing I even thought was for the last two or three off seasons, or it would be just two because that's as long as LeBron's been there. But I, I thought a LeBron cousins pairing would be really interesting. I wonder if LeBron can get the most out of him. And I wasn't real psyched about it this year because he's coming off the injuries. Um, and then I feel like Anthony Davis should be playing center, but there was a little bit of hope still in me that 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 could be a nice pairing. But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see it this season. And again, I just I feel really bad for Cousins. This has been a rough stretch for him. In terms of how it affects the Lakers' title chances, there's there's a push and pull here. There was the method method of thought that the Warriors were better off without him last season. If you have Kevin Durant healthy, then there's a case to be made for that. The Lakers might be a little bit in the same boat if they were hoping to play Cousins and Anthony Davis together full-time. However, explanation point, in caps, if you were going to use him sort of staggered with Davis where you start them together but you let DeMarcus Cousins run a ton of your second units, that's kind of a role he never really got to have with the Warriors. That that hurts because he is – I watched some of his – I put together clips for the Blue Wire Twitter account after he was injured for some of his best plays from last season. The dude can still move, and he's just such a smart passer. He can have a huge impact on offense. And so to lose that in your second unit, I, I think that ends up being a big deal. And the whole, well, now you get to play Anthony Davis at center more argument kind of falls by the wayside if, as NBA TV's Jared Greenberg reported – that Anthony Davis is still not going to play a ton of center for the Lakers, that that's not their plan. That leads me to believe that that's not Davis's plan because we know he's given pushback to playing center before. And it makes me feel very empowered, emboldened, whatever, that Mo, who's worked for NBA teams, worked for the Australians men's basketball team, been around the game at very intimate levels, thinks that it's bullshit when you look at players not wanting to play up a position where Anthony Davis considers himself a power forward 
and not a five, or LeBron wants to be a three, not a four. There is probably a physical toll trade-off, but Anthony Davis is best suited at center in today's NBA. And especially yeah. when you look at this Lakers roster now, where you don't have a DeMarcus Cousins to pair him with, I don't want to see Anthony Davis, JaVal McGee minutes. I don't want to see no. them. Sparingly, maybe, sure, whatever. But Anthony Davis should be playing center, doesn't want to, just weird. I do wonder if they're going to go out then, and they still have a roster spot, and if they think he's going to be out for the year, uh, do you? it's probably a bad look to waive him because now at least you have the inside track on, I know just his non-bird rights on that money, but maybe you just want to keep him in-house so you could evaluate him moving, looking ahead to the season um, after this one, and you know he and Anthony Davis are good friends. Are they going to sign someone, and and who? I think the names that have popped up is Dwight Howard is supposed to be waived by Memphis eventually, and Joakim Noah is floating around out there. The pickings are slim after that, incredibly so. I don't really know who you look at. I think Joakim – I saw Joakim Noah going around. I, I don't think you I, – I wouldn't test the Dwight Howard thing, uh, the old Grinch line. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that with a nine-and-a-half-foot pole or whatever it is. Um, Joakim Noah is interesting, though. And, and again, I agree with you. I think Anthony Davis is a center, and I think somebody needs to sell him on that concept and, and explain to him why it's so much better for him to be playing the five than the four. But if they are really, really committed to keeping him at the four, I think Noah is a, a really interesting player. You and I talked about Noah at some point this summer. I think it was when you were doing your free agency big board. For Bleacher Report, he he didn't play a lot for Memphis last year, only 16 and a half minutes per game, but he was very, very productive um, in those minutes. He he kind of looked – I mean, he's he's not peak Joakim Noah that was an MVP candidate with the Bulls, but per 36 minutes for the Grizzlies last season, he averaged basically 16 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, two blocks, and a steal. I mean, he was he was fantastic. Um you maybe create some spacing issues for yourself if you've got him and Anthony Davis on the floor together at the same time, but that's going to happen with Anthony Davis at the four and just about any center that they have. Who wasn't on the, the Rockets' cousins? Yeah, so so he's an interesting option. Um, who else is on the roster besides that? That is that we could say is a five besides him and Javale. Am I missing somebody? No, not unless you want Kyle Kuzma or Jared Dudley or LeBron to play some. Okay. So they probably do need to have at least like a break in case of emergency. Um, Greg Monroe signed overseas. Uh, you have do you maybe take a look at Amir Johnson? That might be an interesting fit. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. Yeah, I'm I'm running out of I'm I'm out of names. After that. <laughs> I don't know yeah. who else you want me to say. Um, I think Amir Johnson and Joe Kimno are both like I, I, if they made those signings, I I approve of either one. Um, Dwight Howard would would give me some pause. What about Kenneth Farid as a center? As like your third string center, he was pretty good for the Rockets last year. He was just without the floor spacing or defensive element. It, yeah. I know you have Anthony Davis, and then Anthony Davis is going to end up defending a ton of fives anyway next to Kenneth Farid. What about fifty eight year old Nene? I was actually just about to say him, and he's only going on thirty seven, so you need to relax. <laughs> um, yeah, Gortat. I guess there's some options. Maybe Zaza for the minimum, oh, Gortat for the minimum. There's a few guys out there. I I like the Noah or the Amir Johnson ones would be my picks for that. Yeah, those are those are I think the best calls. Um, should we move on to another question? No, let's just call it a pod. <laughs> um. I know you love these ones that probably require a little preparation, but I throw them to you anyway. Um, best starting five this season. That's from Daniel House Stan at 9P Kelly 9. Best starting five this season. I I immediately want to say the Clippers, but if they're still going to start Zubak over Trez, that does hurt them a little bit because Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard maybe get you there on your own. Jamichael Green's probably the four. Uh, I don't. They're definitely a candidate. They would they would win it for me. I'll tell you, they would win it for me if one they start Trez or two they go all wings instead of using a more traditional four where Paul George, Landry yeah. Shamit, and Kawhi Leonard play. After them, I think you have to go. If, well, I shouldn't say after them because I'm not picking them. I'm gonna say Philly. Ben Simmons, Josh. Philadelphia Richardson, is who I pegged. 
Yes. But go ahead. Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. That has blow-up potential in your face, though. I just don't know what the offense yeah. ends up looking like. Defensively, though, they should be one of the best units in basketball. Yeah, I think there is a fairly wide range of outcomes for that starting five. But the peak is, is to me, and it's interesting because Philly's had one of the best starting fives in the NBA for two or three seasons now. Um, it's it's different, obviously, this season than it's been in the last couple of years. But like you said, there's a ton of defensive potential there. Joel Embiid is like, he's going to be, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a perennial defensive player of the year candidate for the next few years. Um Al Horford's defense has been analyzed plenty over the last few years. He's he's very smart, always in the right place. I think one of the reasons that I'm more hopeful about him as a power forward than maybe some other people are is just because he's such a smart defender. Um, and I, I think whatever he may lack in like lateral quickness, he can make up for it with his intelligence, his anticipation, things like that. Josh Richardson is a really good defender too. And I think in a lineup with Ben Simmons and – uh, Tobias Harris and Al Horford, he can focus more on the defensive end again. His defensive numbers slipped a little bit last season, but he had a huge offensive role um, with Miami that he's he's not going to have in Philadelphia. He can be more of a catch-and-shoot guy and just sort of a 3-and-D player, maybe get back to the defense he had a couple years ago and, and just sort of a catch-and-shoot option on the other end. Um, but they, they've got a good balance of offense and defense in my mind. There are some spacing concerns, even though I think, you know, theoretically, Richardson, Harris, and Horford all provide a little bit of shooting. If you could get Joel Embiid up to like a league average three-point percentage, I think that would help a lot. Um, because Ben Simmons is never going to be a shooter. So when you have a non-shooter in the lineup, you got to surround him as, with, with as much shooting as possible. I think in theory it's there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it actually – shows up but I, so I, I guess my long-winded answer is the, the 76ers I think have the potential to be the best starting five in the NBA but I could see how it goes wrong I am I have two other candidates and one of them makes me want to change my pick to this candidate Denver with Jamal Murray. I thought about Denver yeah we think it's going to be Jamal Murray Gary Harris Jeremy Grant Paul Millsap Jokic I'm not sure will they consider bringing Jeremy Grant off the bench and starting Will Barton like they did last year, or maybe you throw Malik Beasley in there. A lot of it probably also depends on Jamal Murray. He's still really good, but you need to see progression from him if you want them to probably enter the realm of the Sixers. If they start Jeremy Grant, though, with Jokic, Millsap, Harris, and Murray, that lineup is built to deconstruct teams on both ends of the floor. My next pick or candidate is probably going to make you climax, but if the Utah Jazz start Royce O'Neal at the four, I'm going to give him a top five starting lineup. I I know there's intrigue with what would it look like, Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm in love with the Royce O'Neal at the four idea now. Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, you can go Ingles or Bogdanovich at the three. We'll assume it'll be Bogdanovich just because they paid him too much, in my opinion, but still really good player. Throw O'Neal out there and go bear, and I think you just have that defensive versatility or at least close to it that you did enjoy with Jay Crowder at the four lineups last year and now you're adding on a better shot creator than Ingles in Bogdanovich it's not a better not a better shooter not a better table setter just a more self-sufficient scorer and I think that uh, matters what matters even more is now you have Mike Conley instead of Ricky Rubio I thought about Denver um and I thought maybe they're still like a year or two away, but I think they're in the conversation for sure. I think I think they have a top five player in Nikola Jokic, so that's a good place to start with any starting five. If Jamal Murray lives up to the contract that he just got, that's that's going to be a really, really good lineup. Um, I think they'll probably bring Jeremy Grant off the bench. I at, the, at least at the start of the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them give Will Barton another chance uh, to live up to, to his deal. Um, but I, you know... <laughs> You know, I have sort of a hot and cold relationship with uh, Will Barton, but Will Barton for has a Utah, hot and cold relationship with Will Barton. <laughs> for Utah, um, I, I like the idea of Royce at the four as well. I think I'm still more in on interchangeable forwards, Joe Ingles and Bojan Bogdanovic at the three and the four. You obviously increase your defensive ceiling with Royce in place of one of those guys. Um, 
but I just I really love the idea of having four players who can shoot, uh, handle the ball a little bit, run a pick and roll, pass surrounding Rudy Gobert. Um, Gobert is still. I, I, some people may think it's Donovan Mitchell, but Gobert is clearly Utah's best player, and I think the way to maximize him that hasn't quite been done yet um, over the course of his career is you surround him with four guys who will pull defenders out to the three-point line. And I know Royce O'Neal can shoot, so that'll pull guys out to an extent, but he's, at least not yet, he hasn't shown much off-the-dribble game. And maybe he's developing that this summer. I wouldn't put it past him because he's already wildly exceeded any expectations I had for him when he was first signed a few years ago. Um and, and Utah's player development staff is really good. So I wouldn't be surprised if he adds that. But as of right now, I think the offensive ceiling of the Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Gobert group um, is just so enticing. I want to see I want to see that lineup get the bulk of the minutes. But there's there's a very strong argument for or- O'Neal at the four as well. They they have some very, very good options now. The Philly, though, they're just the only team in the league where you look at all of their starters – and say each of them would unequivocally start on any other NBA team that they played for. Josh yeah. Richardson would be the closest, I guess, to coming off the bench, and that's th- that idea is borderline hysterical. Yeah. All right. Um, this is from at Benjamin Wirt. T-Wolves' best-case scenario for the 2019-20 season. I, are we taught – does there – Best case scenario include a playoff berth. I'm going to say no. I am also going to say no. I think they could finish maybe a game or two above 500. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think they make the playoffs. Best case scenario for them to me is Carl Anthony Towns maybe takes another slight step forward. I think a big step forward for him is uh, hard to imagine at this point, just because he's so good already. Uh, maybe he becomes a little bit better on the defensive end. Maybe that's the slight step forward that he takes. Andrew Wiggins, I think, is the key to them having their best-case scenario. I know he's been in the league, what is it, five years now? Um, and we're we're still waiting on one even, like, replacement-level season for him. <laughs> uh, but, I, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but hearing Ryan Saunders talk about him on a podcast this summer, I think it was with Zach Lowe, made me think maybe there's still something to unlock with this guy. He's He's got great size for a wing, um, very athletic, obviously. He just he just needs to play a little bit smarter. And I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility for him. Um, so if he, if he suddenly figures things out and becomes like an above average contributor and he's not just like a volume shooter on terrible efficiency, they're, they're a much – different team in my opinion the other thing about them is a full season of robert covington alongside those two guys can be really helpful as well but even if everything breaks right um the west is just so stacked i don't know who i would bump uh from the top eight to say that they're a playoff team i wouldn't bump anybody their best case scenario i don't even know if it it would be around or near 500 not that much different from yours your view then I definitely did not expect you to end up caping for Andrew Wiggins a little bit on this podcast. <laughs> Consistency might help, just with the amount of coaches he's played for, the changes he's seen to his role because of not only the coaches, but the players that have been put around him. If you can just get any progress from him, shoot better from three, um, maybe take better shots off the dribble, getting to the rim more, that would be huge for them. Carl Anthony Towns, you mentioned, if he could improve defensively, I don't... He could he could peak offensively right now, and he would still be one of the best offensive big men of all time. If there's improvement there, great. Yeah. But showing signs on defense would be a little bit better. You would get a healthy season for Robert Covington because he really transformed their team defense when he came over in the Jimmy Butler trade. Another ideal scenario for them would be that their playmaking doesn't want for a different point guard. You have Jeff Teague and Shabazz Napier, which I think means they're going to lean on Definitely Jared Culver, but also maybe Andrew Wiggins for some uh, spot wing playmaking. If you could get that out of one or, or both of them, absolutely huge as well. And then you want to hit on one or two of the flyer signings that you made. Jake Lehman, Tyrone Wallace, Noah Vonley, Jordan Bell. I liked all of those. Shabazz Napier is in there too. 
I liked just all of those mini dice rolls uh, more than Mo did, at least. He eviscerated the Timberwolves on our pod and uh, an athletic pod. Not undeserved, too. His his people got at him on Twitter for it. I think his his stance of they didn't do enough to change and maybe they placed too many eggs in the D'Angelo Russell basket, which you can't criticize them for not getting him, but at the same time, if he's the player you placed all um, your eggs in one basket on, it, it does get a little bizarre. Digressing there, though, but you want to hit on one of those, one or two of those smaller time signings that you made. And that to me would be the ideal scenario is getting all those things for them. And then you're hovering at or around 500, maybe not genuinely contending for that eighth spot, but at least being interesting enough to not, not for just fans to watch, but to just win some games that maybe you shouldn't to really make things even more difficult in the West than they're projected to be. Totally agree. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find Andrew Wiggins, true shooting percentage this season on like a league history leaderboard and it's uh taking a long time it's close to dead last (laughs) um so there's been 685 seasons in which a player took at least as many threes as wiggins took this past season and wiggins true shooting percentage from 2018-19 ranks 663rd that's Um, yeah it was it was efficiency wise a terrible terrible season for him but like i said i'm i'm not completely uh out on him bouncing back one signing that you mentioned that i really like and and i meant to mention was jordan bell um he showed a ton in his rookie season with the warriors and i you know you remember people saying like oh he's he's gonna be kind of like draymond going forward and they can have like dual draymond lineups with him at the four and bell at the five and then he just fell off a cliff last year fell out of the rotation um if, if he can get back on track with the potential that he showed in year one, I, I think he's a really interesting complement next to Towns. Um, one way that you can get away with a four who can't shoot is if you have a five who can shoot, and Carl Anthony Towns obviously can. If Jordan Bell is like the sort of garbage man in that lineup, I think that's a really interesting front court combination with those two. All right. Um, this is from at TJD Hoops, Thomas Duffy. Um, best spot for Mello. Where would he fit best and thrive? Mo and I talked about this a little bit um, on on a pod after Mello's first take appearance. There's, it's. I think this question is sort of nodding towards the fact that Mello was seen practicing or or has been practicing with members of the Brooklyn Nets. I don't hate him there if they can create a roster spot somehow, and I don't look at anyone on their team and say just get rid of him for mellow you know henry allenson is there I, but that's pretty much it i wouldn't you know what i mean so mm-hmm. but I, even if they signed him i don't necessarily want him taking minutes away from torian prince or, or rodian's kurutz those guys are going to have enough have enough time getting developmental reps once kevin durant comes back the following season assuming they're still around even karis lavert i don't want to see touches taken away from him this is sort of a year where the nets can juggle both Again, not just making the playoffs, but maybe being a top four or five team in the East and getting a look at their young guys because they don't have because they need to. They just don't, they don't have Kevin Durant in the lineup. Better fits include, and I don't think they can be rebuilding teams. A lot of people have said Charlotte Hornets fans. Many of them have vomited at that notion. I don't think it's actually bizarre. People have said they have Marvin Williams, so it won't work. It's look if they wanted Melo on the team, they could make it work without hurting anyone who's totally crucial to their future but looking at playing time and touches i just don't think it could be a rebuilding team because whatever Melo says i just don't know he's if he's the personality that you want around a group of not just young minds but just a team that's at a pivotal point or at an early point in his development i still think the warriors would be a good fit for him if you were the lakers and said we're gonna play Melo at the five or we're just going to play Anthony Davis and Melo together. I wouldn't mind it. I don't think he's a perfect fit there. Portland, probably a better functional fit. Those would be the two teams that stand out to me, Golden State and Portland. And you know my long view of the cowards in San Antonio need to suck it up and just sign Carmelo. (laughs) Um, I I think all those make some sense. I I don't think people will be shocked to hear that. I just don't think there's a – a great uh, fit anywhere in the league for him. Um, we, I think we talked about the Lakers possibility on a previous 
podcast and you rightfully pointed out that they've already got a bunch of guys who think they're threes but should spend more time at the four like Kyle Kuzma, LeBron James, Jared Dudley. Um, adding Melo to that log jam just doesn't really do anything. And I think all the points you just made about the Nets are true. You should you should want guys like Torrey and Prince to be getting more minutes at the four, uh, more touches at the four, more shots at the four. Um, Portland is kind of interesting to me. They've had a funky offseason, I think funkier than a lot of people re- realize. Um <laughs> So why not just add to the funk, maybe? Uh, <laughs> Golden State is interesting, too. Maybe that's maybe that's a team with a strong enough infrastructure um, that he would. And we, I feel like we kind of said this last year with the Rockets, too. Like, he's going to such a great team, and he's got this perennial, perennial MVP candidate, James Harden, and, and now he's going to kind of figure out the modern game because he's going to be forced to, and it just, it didn't quite happen. And maybe he would have eventually. I mean, he didn't have a long time to try to figure it out in Houston. What was it like 10 games? Um, so, so maybe he would have adjusted eventually and maybe he would with the golden state warriors. My, my answer is I just, I don't know if there's a great, great fit out there. Um, but I, I think of, of the teams that you named two that I think could make it work. Are, are the Blazers and the Warriors. And I hadn't thought about them. So it, when you brought them up, I thought with both of them, hmm, maybe maybe there is something there. The And the problem, too, which is why I think those two teams work best, is that, and I said this on the previous pod, so I won't spend too much time on it, but if you look at the NBA, let's just assume every team has an open r- roster spot, which isn't true, but 14 roster spots, uh, over 30 teams. We're talking about over 400 players, 420 players, whatever it is. I feel confident in saying there are not right now 420 players in the NBA better than Carmelo Anthony. The issue is you can't sign Carmelo Anthony as an 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th guy and expect him to get the kind of attention and coverage of a typical ninth through 12th guy. He's going yeah. to have the cachet coverage, and it makes it harder in situations where if you're playing him and he's not helping your team there's going to be the call for, well, why aren't you benching him? Is it just because he's Carmelo Anthony? If you're not playing him, it becomes a story. The fact that he was on first take at all, that there is enough interest in him, his brand that he has built, it is a testament to how important he was to the NBA during his prime. But since his transition has been so ungraceful, it makes it that much harder to squeeze him into a team culture without assuming a ton of, I want to call it not really functional risk, but emotional, psychological risk or just unnecessary risk. And that's why the Blazers and Warriors, two teams with the strongest behind-the-scenes culture, are probably the best fits. And the Warriors, just with what they dealt with for KD and his upcoming free agency, dealing with Melo, whether they're playing him or not, would probably be a breeze. Yeah. And then Portland just has Damian Lillard. That's my answer to everything. Well, why did you think that Dwight Howard could have approximated Hassan's Whiteside value for them? Uh, Just because they have Damian Lillard. That's just my – that guy, it feels like anyone would follow him into hell. Yeah. I think that's a fair uh, and appropriate way to view Damian Lillard. Um... (laughs) Football season is here, people. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Price, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue and get the college football and NFL future plays and make up to 15 times your money off of a $99 investment. Last year, sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. That could be you. The year before that, Kurt Presley of sports information traders made a million dollars. You heard that correctly. A million dollars with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the Sports Information Traders team can guide you on the best ways to make money on future bets and preseason football betting picks. You get all of that for $99 and the opportunity to make up to 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured in ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. 
John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Future Picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue to have a chance to make 15 times a return on your football betting this season. Jacob Rogero, hopefully I pronounced that right, Jacob, uh, at J-A-C-O-B-R-O-G-G-E-R-O. People cite all kinds of things when evaluating players, but what element of a player's game do you believe contributes the most to team success? Philosophical. Yeah, it's, is it almost ineffable? Just in a sense, how easily can they play alongside anyone? That plug-and-play factor, yeah. you, you obviously want the star quality, but what stars could you plug in to any team? Stephen or, Curry. Right, and that's the name that comes to mind. And there's look, there's an element of LeBron James there because he can be your entire system. And so that's yeah. kind of the argument. Do you want someone who could be your entire system or someone who can fit slash define any type of system? Those are probably the two keys for me. So there's the LeBron James, James Harden, who I think is probably more plug-and-play than LeBron James, if you convince him to, to just log more time off the ball, but with the way that he's played, he's more in the LeBron James camp. But then there's also the the Stephen Curry, I'm trying to think of another star that maybe comes to mind there, Kevin Durant camp, like a Kawhi Leonard type players. And I would tend to value more, unless we're talking about a LeBron, unless we're talking about a top five player, a LeBron, Giannis, maybe even top 10, whatever you want to call it, that's when I start gravitating more towards the the depth of fit than I would more so just the individual reputation or, or that individual skill set. So like the best players in the world, those are the ones that you want. But basically, but I'm just saying <laughs> it gets to be, I think it's, no, more I understand a, what you're saying. it's I'm probably just more of a question when you get beyond the actual stars, when we're talking yeah. about rotation, regular rotation players in the NBA, I think ease of fit becomes the biggest priority to me. I'm trying to think of just a good example of... I think that's a better answer than what I was thinking. And it's more like, it's more broad. When I read the question, I thought, like things that popped into my head were like passing and and shooting. And I thought it's difficult to select one skill, even though he used the word element. um, Because you like... For Stephen Curry, the shooting is more important, but maybe for Nikola Jokic, the passing is is more important. It's probably like a case by case basis. So I don't think I could settle on one thing. And I and I actually think your answer is better. That it's it it maybe it's the guys who are best at playing with others. Um, so so just being a good teammate is maybe a really really important element to it, team success, especially if you have it from a superstar. Right, like Damian Lillard too. Yeah, and so it's like Joel Embiid. I don't think he could fit everywhere, but you would rather have him. You know, he's a top 10, 12 NBA player right now. But let's talk about Demar Derozan. We know from scratch, shot creation mixed with playmaking, those tend to be the most important players in the NBA. I might, I would rather have Rudy Gay on my team just because he's easier to fit in with what he does best, and to me would end up making more of a profound impact. That's sort of how I'm looking when you're when you're talking about again the ten. 12, 15, 20 best players in the game, there's going to be – you take Kyrie Irving. You don't go, oh, I want Thomas Edoransky instead of Kyrie Irving. It's That's just not – you don't get to do that. But when there's, yeah. you know, on, on that second, third, fourth tiers or whatever, that's where I think you start to – where this question becomes really critical. So when, uh, when you or Blue Wire cuts a little clip of this show and puts it up on Twitter, can you please make it the Rudy, Go, Rudy Gay over uh, DeMar DeRozan? People are going to find it weird that it's not your voice at the other end of it. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> it's, and I'm not insulting DeMar DeRozan. It's just that he's not one of the 10 to 15 best players in the game to me. And yeah. so I would yeah. rather and, have... And, and you're right. He is easier, or I mean, he is more difficult to fit into a lot of team contexts than Rudy Gay would be. And I think you could probably say the same. This is an insult to Joel Embiid. If you're, you can't just plug him in anywhere and expect it to work because of he commands so many touches because he deserves them. That being said, to me, and what he does defensively, 
with what he's capable of at his position, how much of a mismatch he is offensively, he's worth the trouble of building the team around him more so than DeMar DeRozan is. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gregory Blakely at G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-B-L-A-K-L-E-Y. Which team do you think will surprise people the most? Surprise? I, I went surprise in a good way, but I did think about the other direction. All right, let me give, give me yours, and I'll, then I'll okay. think of mine. So you can maybe look around. Um, what? So surprise? I guess this is a relative term because I, 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 if I had to predict, I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I do think they might be in the hunt. Um, is the Atlanta Hawks? I, I think they could be pretty dang good this year. If Trey Young uh, plays the way he did the second half of last season or even a little bit better, which is obviously reasonable because he's just going into year two and, and guys improve over their first few years in the, in the league, um, he and John Collins is a really, really intriguing duo to me. Um, I didn't love the DeAndre Hunter pick. Um, I'm actually probably a little bit higher on Cam Reddish than him, at least long term. I don't think either one of them is going to help him a ton this season but really I'm, I'm just sort of fixated on that top two uh and kevin herter too i should throw him into the mix so so i'll say that that team's top three is really really interesting to me especially in the eastern conference where they're going to play uh, a lot of the weaker teams in the league i think this is a team they won 29 games last year i wouldn't be surprised if they finish like high 30s and maybe that's not surprising uh, maybe I'm not alone in thinking this, but I, I think they could push to high 30s, maybe even low 40s in wins this season. That's a good team to pick. For surprise in a good way, I'm going to pick the Golden State Warriors. There's a conversation having in a subsection of NBA circles of whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. I think the consensus is they'll make the playoffs, but that they're not going to be a contender. Mm-hmm. I'm pushing back on that. I just I know Draymond signed his extension, but I think he's going to be motivated to go after the Defensive Player of the Year award. I don't think Golden State will be good enough defensively in the wrong one for him to get it, but I, I do believe he's going to have a, a hell of a season on that side of the floor. Stephen Curry is going to be unleashed. Whether he's playing alongside D'Angelo Russell or both Russell and Thompson, we're going to get back to the pre-KD Curry on some mm-hmm. level, and that's just going to be enthralling to see. They have Kavon Looney. They're a little bit deeper to me than people are giving them credit for. Alec Burks is someone who should help them off the bench. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein, too, yeah. If they're going to run more pick and roll, and because you have D'Angelo Russell, we have to assume they're going to, Willie Cauley-Stein is valuable to them. He's not a good defender, but maybe playing next to Draymond Green helps that. He's not, he never had that safety net in Sacramento. And then once Clay Thompson comes back, they... On paper, they have one of the most tantalizing starting fives in the league all of a sudden. Yeah. So yeah. they're a team to me that could still get to 50-plus victories rather easily and contend for a top-three record in the West. If I was going to look for a team that might be more so on the disappointing end, I've already gone into the Jazz a little bit for the playoffs. I, th- I think they're going to be a dominant regular season team, so I'm not going to choose them there. My pick is actually Milwaukee. Are, it's not about them living up to the 60-win 60 uh, 60 mark of last year. It's just how much better or how lateral can they be when you lost Malcolm Brogdon? Uh, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from Eric Bledsoe because of how bad he's been in the past two postseasons. I question their bigger wing depth outside of the starting lineup because they, they did get good value out of the minimum, but who is defending big wings on this team when you don't after Giannis and Chris Middleton because you don't have Miritich not that he was a great defender but it was at least an option you don't have Tony Snell uh, Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver cannot be those players Kyle Korver yeah. is just not going to be a good defender period are you relying on Tanasa Tentacumpo for actual minutes uh Ersan Ilyasova is this Sterling Brown's year Pat Connaughton and their their secondary creation is still a problem it was a problem in the playoffs against the Raptors, and I don't know that they addressed it by getting rid of Brogdon but keeping George Hill. Uh, it's, you know, George Hill, if he plays like he did for spurts of the postseason, that's great, but the best he can do then is approximate Malcolm Brogdon's offensive value, and you don't necessarily improve there. The spacing should still be fine. 
But what then again, what happens if Brooke Lopez doesn't shoot as well in such high volume? That's perfectly possible. What if Robin Lopez isn't a great fit because they expect him to shoot threes or the lineups yeah. that he's in can't really shoot threes? That's a team that I think could end up being a little disappointing where it's, oh, they're going to run the tables in the East, but you know maybe they're actually the third seed behind Philly and, and another team, be it Boston yeah. or Indiana or even Toronto. This this probably doesn't qualify because I think they're they have so many fans that think so highly of them. But I think Boston could be a little bit better than people uh, than than a lot of people predict too. All defense around his canner. Yeah, <laughs> good call. Um, I it took Paul George maybe like a a full year, maybe a year and a half to fully recover from that nasty leg break that he had. So maybe if Gordon Hayward is like close to 2016-17 Gordon Hayward, I think that changes a lot. And if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown get back on track uh, with where they were in 2017-18, that's a really interesting like three forward combination. Completely interchangeable two through four with those three guys. And I don't think there's like a massive drop off from Kyrie Irving to Kemba Walker. In fact, if you factor in the off court and the chemistry type stuff, it, it might be an upgrade. Um, there are certainly questions at center. <laughs> you just raised a big one with, with Ennis Kanter. And I actually think those four guys might be better playing with Daniel Tice um, because he's a guy who can defend a little bit, could shoot a little bit, um, isn't going to take away a ton of shots from the rest of the, the lineup. Um, so I, I think they have some potential to maybe surprise a little bit. I, don't, I wouldn't call him a title contender. But I do think there's a very good chance they're better than they were last year, despite losing. And something Kyrie. else you could they could do because you mentioned the that they're interchangeable at the two, three, and the four. I don't know that you want to get into playing Gordon Hayward at center so you could put Marcus Smart in that lineup. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind going nuclear to try that. That's interesting. Because, yeah. Uh, the other thing though is if you want to play Hayward, Tatum, and Brown, and you're not worried about the level of defense you're getting against the four, whoever's going to defend him, probably I would say Hayward or Tatum in that scenario. Give Grant Williams. A run at the five to try it yeah. out. And then, like you said, Tice is at least an option there. Or maybe even Semi Ojeli. That's just that, – that, that just – I don't know. That that works. And so I, I agree with you there. And I would actually take it a step further that I could see them being a contender to come out of the East if their defense on the outside is just so good or so smooth that they're able to get to those smaller ball lineups where, hey, maybe we're not gaining anything defensively, but – if Ennis Cannon was going to start or be in the middle for heavy minutes anyway, perhaps there is a slight upgrade. Or maybe we're just more uh, – we've diversified our offense even more, and that just separates us even further from our defensive struggles. Yeah. And I didn't pick the Pelicans, by the way, because there's a chance they actually end up being a disappointment the way that people are hyping them up as a fringe yeah. playoff team. Excited to see them play. I'm just always nervous when we saddle these young, really deep teams with uh, immediate expectations. Yeah, I think that's a that's fair. All right, you're gonna love this question. Um, this is from at Bash Hoops. Ten years from now, what percentage of NBA rosters will be international players? Second to that, what is the percentage of the league's total points scored by international players last year? And you know I answered that question. Give me an over under. Uh, okay, uh, over under twenty. 20%. I'm going to say over. You are correct. I was going to say 25, but that would have been mean. The answer is 24.8% of the league's <laughs> points <laughs> were scored by players who were born outside the U.S. And if I had to predict, what was the other part of his question? Uh, 10 years from now, I'll, I'll say there's maybe like a 5 to 10% increase. <laughs> that, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's larger than that. That's true. Um, that So that's one thing about the NBA that's really cool that I don't I don't think any other league can like claim to quite the same degree as how global the game is baseball obviously has a lot of players from outside the US um, but a lot of it is sort of uh, focused on like Latin America or Japan whereas with the NBA it, it's literally coming from everywhere right now there's Europeans there's Africans there's uh, Asians there's South Americans it's it's really cool the global expansion of the game and it has I think one of the reasons there's more talent in the NBA now than there ever has been is because you opened up those massive talent pools um, and and one thing that the NBA is really emphasizing right now is is tapping into the 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 potential for immense talent in Africa um, they're they're 
opening up camps and leagues and all in schools and all kinds of stuff down there. So 10 years from now, like you said, it, it could be a bigger increase than what I just forecast. Right. And it's the, you know, the, there's the NHL too, but it, like the MLB, it does seem that they're, that's true. Their uh, focuses are more centralized where in the NBA yeah. it's just a little bit more spread out. That's not data backed either. We're making generalizations now, yeah. which is dangerous, but I, I do agree with you there. All right. This is going to have to be, Last question for me. No, I have, uh, to, no. I have to interrupt then for a quick one. That okay, go for it. From Robert Wittrall, whose wedding I was actually at. If oh. the NBA had an over-the-top rope Royal Rumble, which rotation <laughs> player would most likely win? Well, you you got to know my answer on this. I feel like I do, but maybe surprise me. I've got to be a homer and say James Johnson, my old high school teammate. Oh, I actually thought you were going to come, come at with like Rudy Gobert, to be honest with you. <laughs> It's got to be James Black Belt. Um, some other options would certainly be Shemi Ojele, who you know or who you mentioned earlier. Um, Andrew Bogut, even though he's he's not technically in the league right now. I would not pick um, Andrew Bogut. Get out of here with that! Come on, Patrick <laughs> Royal Beverly. Rumble? Are you kidding me? He would kill people. Um, Patrick Beverly. No one wants that smoke. Beverly would be an interesting pick. Marcin Gortat, another guy who's not technically in the league right now. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Oh, David West would be a good one, but he's retired. Stop naming all these old dudes. <laughs> um, gosh, who else is there? I, I'm very satisfied with my picks. I don't care what you say. James Johnson's a fair one. I, I think it would be Patrick Beverly for me. He just no I, way. I, I mean, I get he's he. I get the spunk and the fire that he's got, but you just don't think he's strong pick enough? him up over his head and gorilla press him. Enough with the Andrew Bogut. No, Andrew Bogut's not winning. <laughs> Andrew Bogut would, would crack something or like would <laughs> That's probably true. So yeah. what about do you know who might be what about a Russell Westbrook? Westbrook would be ferocious. That's a good call. Now I want to like sit down and and, and really um, dive deep into this. That's what a separate a, what a pod great now. Question. That's good. We're gonna have a specialty pod about this. Yeah. I'm glad you jumped in with that. Um Okay, this is from Walid Choudhury, hopefully I, I pronounced that one correctly, at B-I-G-D-E-E-D-W-A-L-E-E-D, Big Deed Walid. Where do you have Kobe all time? He says he has him around eighth. Come on. I, don't wanna... I know you love rankings. I'm, I, what I'm going to do is throw some names at you, okay? Okay. LeBron James or Kobe Bryant? LeBron. Okay, so there's one. Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? Jordan. Charles Barkley or Kobe Bryant? Barkley. <laughs> David Robinson or Kobe Bryant? I, what are we ranking them on? Just in players we'd rather have? Greatest, the, the all-time ladder. Because I know how much you love ranking. I'm going to say top 25. And I'm not going, uh, I might go as high as top 20. It's, <laughs> I, You've I already had enough of this exercise. <laughs> I love rankings, but the Kobe stuff is, he does have the five rings and he was fantastic in his prime. Yes, yes. I, I do think his legacy, I don't know. It, it seems, he seems, he seems like one of those players we're going to look back almost like Allen Iverson. And it's going it, to, it, it's going to seem like they were, overrated at the time and i think that's fair it's people are going to get caught up and say that oh you numbers assholes and whatever look the numbers are a part of it just the type of game he played with what we know about the game today and if we're supposed to believe that the the nba has never had more talent and that the game has never been more in tune with how to play then that matters in the context and cross-generational comparisons are so so tough i don't want to take away from Kobe's career, uh, off-court stuff. Everyone knows how I feel about that, and maybe that does color me a little bit against him, but I'm I'm not going higher than top 20 at this point. I'll listen to cases for top 15. I am at the point, though, where if you're putting Kobe in your top 10, it just seems like a mind-melting stretch at that point. Yeah. And I say that and with no malice. It's just yeah. Top ten. There's a lot really of people that still him. would put him in like top five. He's not, but he's I. Not, it's just he's not. There was never a there was never a real Kobe or MJ debate to me, and there's not no. a Kobe or LeBron debate. There's no. the rings, and if that's going to inflate his legacy, look, that's fine. It's part of it. He's top ten, top five is just what are you? Who yeah. are you snubbing out of LeBron, MJ, Kareem, Tim Duncan, Shaq? I just we haven't even mentioned right Magic there. and Larry Bird. 
And who knows where this isn't in the top five, but where is Kevin Durant or Stephen Curry yep. or Giannis or James Harden going to end All up? All the current guys, yep. And here's um, here's the the last note for me on this, since I know you have to go, is would you rather have all time, is it Kobe or James Harden? And it's I know it sounds stupid well, because Kobe yeah. has the rings, but James Harden would be the pick. I don't know where he's going to finish. In a vacuum, the... Harden is better. Right. The rings, I think, would place Kobe above him, definitely for now, and maybe comfortably so. At the end of James Harden's career, though, that's going to be an argument. And I don't even think it's a hot take to say that James Harden should end up higher on that. Rings aside, again, rings are part of it. Did James Harden ever play with anyone like Prime Shaq, though? I was just going to say that. Just imagine current James Harden with early 2000s Shaq. KD and Russ were too young, and now Russ is too old. Uh, Chris Paul, not in his prime. Dwight Howard basically passed his prime at that point. Did he has he ever even had a teammate when he's in his prime that was at the level of prime Pau Gasol? Yeah, Gasol. Sorry, Pau Pau's another guy who doesn't get enough credit for the, the for Kobe's fourth and fifth championships. And people um, do Kobe apologists do him a disservice by putting him so high or being so dismissive of counter arguments because then it it increases the likelihood that you're going to get pushed back from someone like me because it's it's Kobe fatigue that we think there are so many people overrating him that maybe then we're underrating him and it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So I, my initial response when I read the question is I probably the top 15 to 20 range. Um, he's all the way down at 39th in career box plus minus, but that obviously weighs the, the first year when he was just coming out of high school in the last few years where he was, clearly just like a shell of himself um he had a sustained peak of like 12 or 13 years that was really really good um i'm not sure even though he won an mvp one season i'm not sure he was definitively the best player in the league in any season that he played but he was for a long time i think sort of a comfortable top five to ten guy in the league and i think that i think i think the sustained consistent um Excellent play for him. Counts for a lot. The five rings, like you mentioned, count for a lot. However, as you mentioned, he had Shaquille O'Neal for the first three, a very hungry and peak of his power Shaq. Um, Then he had Pau Gasol for the second two, who was fantastic. And I think even topped Kobe in a couple advanced numbers um, in one of those title runs. Not that that's everything, but it's something. Um, And then if, if, if we had continued that exercise we started this question on, there, there's a pretty long list of guys that you can make a reasonable argument were better than Kobe. Um, we only did four or five, but there are some really, really good basketball players. And to say that Kobe Bryant is like top 15 to 20, that's not disrespectful. Think about how many thousands have played in the NBA and how many like millions couldn't even make it to that level. Um, and there are so, probably four to six active players aside from LeBron who could slash will end up finishing above him on the yeah. online ladder. Well, here's here is the list of players who are ahead of him just in box plus minus. And again, I'm not saying this is definitive, but these are all active players. Um, Kobe's Kobe's career box plus minus is 3.88. These are a bunch of active players who are ahead of him. Um, Damian Lillard. uh I don't, I don't know if, I mean, if he wins a title, maybe it starts to become a conversation. Um, I bet if I did one of those blind polls, he'd, he'd perform pretty well against Kobe. There, Giannis. That maybe is where the bias, where it's like if we're building a team today, there are probably more players than we would take, that we would take over Kobe than were prime Kobe than are actually ahead of him in the all-time ladder. And that's yeah. maybe where the discrepancy comes in. And they, all these guys are going to need more legacy points between now and the end of their career, meaning like, you know, some all-star, more all-star selections, maybe some titles, uh, more all-NBA selections. Um, Giannis is another guy, Dwayne Wade, even though he's not active anymore. Dwayne Wade's one that I would definitively put above him, by the way. Um, Same. Anthony, Anthony Davis. You, you already mentioned Curry, Westbrook, Harden, Durant, um, Chris Paul. They're, <laughs> they're, anyway. I, I don't think top 15 to 20 is an insulting thing to say about Kobe Bryant. Like you said, top 10 is just, that's just too far for me. Um, because of, I, I think if we look at his, his career, his numbers, his legacy in the right context, he's just not there. Um, 
with all with all due respect and apologies to the Kobe uh, Stan universe. <laughs> Um, and I think that probably wraps us up with that awkward wrap up of that question. Um, anything else before we go, Dan? No, way to save that one for last. (laughs) What a, what a rousing way to finish. Um, like Dan said at the top, you can find us on Twitter. Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Mo is at Mo Dekeel underscore NBA. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The, the network at Blue Wire Pod. The sponsor at NBA <laughs> underscore math. Um, we have so many Twitter handles to throw out these days. If you already rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, share it with your friends and family. Ask them uh, uh, or force them to do the same. I, I take force to mean whatever you want, although don't be crazy. Um, until next time. We leave you with the shout out to Ben Udri, to Kyle Anderson, and Jalen Brunson. <laughs> <laughs>